Want to learn how to see and share Jesus from all the scripture? Learn with us at the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. Welcome to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. I'm Nate Aiken. I'm joined on the podcast this week by John Aiken and Josh Redberg. Uh, after spending some time focusing on Advent, we're returning to the book of Hebrews. Uh, we'll be in chapter 4, looking at verses 1 through 13. Uh, but John, before we jump in and look at chapter 4, could you remind us of how chapter 3 uh, concluded? Yeah, so he was pointing back to the Exodus and looking at the time of Moses and uh, how the people rebelled in the wilderness and... Uh, because of that judgment fell. And so they're using that as an exhortation for this generation of believers not to be like that. Josh, as we kind of jump in, and obviously three three kind of goes clearly into four. Obviously, there's no uh, chapter and verse divisions when we are when we initially get this book. But what is the promise of rest? So was, for instance, it's talking about his rest and not our rest. What What's the author of Hebrews talking about? Yeah, he's talking about the rest that God has prepared for his people, and that's really what he goes on to do. He describes our future rest, that we will be with God in the place he has prepared for us to experience his blessing, and he pictures it through um, Old Testament imagery. And so this becomes Mm -hmm. a great chapter for understanding how we are to interpret this Old Testament imagery when we're working through the Old Testament. And so this promise of rest he shows how it started in the Garden of Eden and it continued to be repeated through Israel's history, but the future rest uh, that Christ provides for his people still remains. And so the promise of rest is ultimately a promise of God's people in God's place, enjoying God's blessings uh, in, an, in a never-ending, unceasing way. That that would kind of go into the next question. John, I'll ask it to you, and then Josh, if you want to weigh in as well. So, so some of the pictures that are used of rest in this chapter uh, and Josh even kind of alluded to the kingdom of God, people in God's place, but the Garden of Eden, the Promised Land, Sabbath celebration. Uh, John, what do these pictures teach us about God's rest? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously this is a theme that is running from creation all the way through uh, redemption to new creation. And um, and so he he does reference, uh, one, he, he obviously goes back to the beginning of creation um, and talking about the fact that God, you know, created in six days, rested on the seventh day. Then looking at redemption in the Exodus, um, they were supposed to enter into rest, um, d- d- you know, going back into the promised land. So so as we've talked about, I think, uh, on this podcast before, the, the, the re-entry into the promised land uh, after the Exodus and then the conquest of Joshua was was in many ways seen as a return to Eden, uh, as a return to paradise. That's why the the tabernacle was, um, you know, was patterned after the uh, uh, creation. And so they were supposed to have entered into rest there. Uh, They didn't because they hardened their hearts and they uh, didn't believe. and, And because they didn't believe they were disobedient, but there's a future rest, um, that, and in, in, in many ways, we're starting to get into here in, in chapter four, kind of the already not yet, right? It's something that that today you're supposed to experience, but it's also something that is is coming for God's people, uh, mm. you know, there in the future, that there there remains a rest for us. Um, and, and as has already been said, obviously, we're talking about new heavens, new earth and the consummation, all those things. But um, yeah, so that theme that theme runs all throughout. 
but it's being used here to talk about something that God's people should experience right now as we rest from our work, as we as we trust, we believe, and we obey, and then something that we'll experience later. Mm. Josh, go ahead. Yeah, weigh in. Yeah, I think each one of each picture helps define the rest a little more. So the Garden of Eden, what's most significant about rest there is the presence of God, right? So they walked with God in the cool of the day. And so it's a place that his presence uh, enters and dwells with. So we're seeing a greater, maybe a greater focus on his presence in the Garden of Eden. The rest in the promised land is about rest from your enemies. And so the idea is you'll have peace there. You also have prosperity, right? So part of the rest is this is a land that flows with milk and honey. And so each picture starts to fill in more details of the rest that remains. So lest we think rest is, you know, winged angel babies on clouds or hmm. a long nap, it's saying, no, it's the presence of God. It's prosperity and peace. And then the Sabbath one is a celebration. And so it's it's not even just calmness and tranquility. It's joy. It's it's a festival. The Sabbath was designed to be a time of of celebration, of eating, drinking, dancing, laughter. And so it's showing us this concept of rest. It's bigger maybe than the word at first makes us think. So mm -hmm. it's not simply a nap. It's you're in God's presence. You're you're finding great prosperity that you're you're at peace from enemies all around you and then ultimately you're enjoying this life of celebration and delight that comes from being in God's presence. And so I think he uses the multiple images to give us a a wider view uh, of the rest that God has prepared for his people. You know, the, one of the common questions in the in the Old Testament is, uh, are the covenant promises conditional, unconditional? We've talked about those in previous episodes, but it seems here the promise of rest is conditional, um, at least appears to be. How does this condition build on what we've learned in chapter three? John, I'll direct that to you, but the concept of rest as conditional, uh, build on that for us, if you would. Well, so I, in my thinking, I'd love to hear Josh's thoughts on this, but in my thinking, it's that the promise of rest is unconditional in terms of God is going to accomplish this for his people. The, quite, the condition is, are you going to experience it or not? Uh, we are obviously given from chapter three, th this, whole, this whole period of the, the wandering in the wilderness and those who rebelled and didn't go in um, to the land because they didn't believe, and therefore because they didn't believe, they didn't obey, um, and they and they fell, they died. This is being used obviously as an example for us that we could be in a similar type of danger. It's obviously not you know equal in terms of like one you know one represents the other in terms of how it's going to happen. It's it's an analogy, right? Um, but so that's that's a concern for us that if we will not genuinely believe that is then uh, shown to be genuine belief by the fact that we actually obey and that we don't rebel against the word of God, um, then we're going to miss out. And so it's it's going to be it's going to be conditional in that way. Um, and if we do believe and then our, our faith is is shown to be real life you know, living active faith by obedience, not talking about sinless perfection, obviously, but, but, but uh, obedience, then um, we'll get to experience all of those things that Josh was just talking about, uh, presence of the Lord, freedom from enemies, 
celebration, um, mm. all, all of those things. And so, yeah, it's 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 definitely in the in the Old Testament. It was certain to again to, to use that analogy in the Old Testament. It was certain that God was going to bring His people into the land of promise. It was a promise, so there was no way that God's promise was not going to happen. But there were people who missed out on it because they because they didn't believe. Josh, anything you want to add? Yeah, the condition is faith, and we know from um, really throughout all of Scripture in some very clear places that faith is a gift from God. And so God accomplishes His purposes, He keeps His promises, but there's a human responsibility to believe. And so I think this is another place where divine sovereignty and human responsibility are brought together without any conflict. God will keep His promises, His people will enjoy His rest, and His people are those who who hear the good news and mm-hmm. believe. And he, he mentions that very, very specifically when he says, um, you know, we who have believed enter the rest. Mm-hmm. It is contingent upon human belief, but human belief comes as an, as an act of God's grace as well. Uh, good, good stuff. Josh, there's two commands in the passage coming out of just what you said. There's fear, verse 1, strive, verse 11. Uh, how do you see those two commands connected? Yeah, I think fear properly understood is what motivates us to act. So, right, any parent who's standing in the front yard all of a sudden turns and sees their three-year-old near the edge of their yard about to step into the street, they have this moment of blinding fear. But what does that blinding fear do? It makes them act, right? That's mm-hmm. why they take off running to, to, to try and grab their child before they enter the street. So pre- fear, like correctly understood, is an accurate assessment of our condition. There's, there's something, there's something wrong. There's something that needs to happen, but that accurate assessment then leads to a motivation to act. And so in here he's saying like, this is something to be afraid of. If you accurately assess the fact that you cannot enter God's rest apart from belief, then strive to believe, like do something, respond to that, to that understanding of how precarious your position is. And so I think they go together uh, very, very seamlessly. It is an accurate fear, a correct fear, which then motivates us to respond. And that seems to be what he's driving for. The beginning fear, at the end, now act. Act because it is a fearful thing to not enter God's rest. John, anything you'd add there? Yeah, I just think, I think this is the nature of warnings, right? That That there's a there's a negative side to be feared and then there's a positive side to to act on and so i i always just think of funny ones like the one i always love is when i look in a dress shirt and see the tag and it says warning do not iron while wearing um the, the reason that's in there is because some idiot you know ironed his shirt while he was wearing it burned himself and then probably sued the company and uh and so, but they're, they're warning you, Hey, don't do this because you'll hurt yourself, right? You'll burn yourself. And what you should do is iron it on the iron board. That's where it, that's where it is meant to be ironed. And so it's a, it's a avoid this and then, and then pointed towards this. And, and God obviously does that all the way, you know, throughout the scriptures, um, on a host of things, right? First Corinthians six, he's warning about sexual immorality. First Corinthians seven, he's pointing you to, okay, here's where you enjoy this in marriage. Um, and so, so it's kind of like, like warning promise. Um, there's a negative side that you need, you really should be 
worried about the consequences of this if you if you act on it. And then the positive side, okay, now here's what you strive for and here's what's going to happen if you do that. Um, and so I, so I think they, they definitely are like two sides of the same coin. So, something also to think about in regards to this fear. He says this fear that you might miss entering the land. If we think about Israel entering the land the first time or the command to enter the land, it was fear of the wrong thing, which kept them out. Right? It was their fear of the giants instead of their fear of God, which caused them not to enter the land. And so part of this is an encouragement to fear the right thing. Like fear not following God, fear not obeying him. Don't fear the things that keep you from not obeying him. And so, you know, maybe even with the Hebrews, there are those who maybe it's family pressure, maybe it's societal pressure pressure that are are maybe what's pushing them to deny Jesus. And he's saying, no, don't, don't fear that. Instead, fear not entering my rest. And so I do think there's a, a sort of correlation to what Israel experiences on the edge of the promised land. And he's saying, don't, don't fear what they feared. Instead, fear missing out. That's the mm-hmm. bigger, that's the bigger uh, problem that you need to be afraid of. From that, John, so you have these I mean, wonderful verses at the end of in verse 11 and 12. Um, but so it says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and of spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What, what's the connection there from verse 11 to verse 12, the strive to enter the rest and obviously this powerful thing that's said about the word of God? Well, it seems it seems to me that what he's saying about the Word of God is that it is um, a revealer, right? So this, so it's 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 about judgment again. That it it discerns your thoughts and the intentions of your heart. No creature is hidden from it from uh, his sight. So there's a there's an intimate connection between the Word of God and God Himself and what He's going to do in judgment in verse thirteen that we're exposed and have to give an account based on the word of God. Um, and this is what is, this is what is like incisive in terms of, uh, cutting through all the, the, the stuff and seeing what we really think, what we really believe, how we, re- who we really are. And then we're going to have to give an account for that. So, th- so I think the connection is, is this again, judge judgment, but the, the specific, role that the word of God is going to play in, in the judgment. So we strive to enter that rest and, and, and not rebel because the word of God is, is piercing through discerning our thoughts and our, and the intentions of our hearts. And so we're not, we can't hide from God. We can't, you know, it's a foolishness for Adam to, to run to the trees and try to get away from God. Uh, the same thing for us. And so, so again, it's that you're, the Bible is incredible in terms of, you know, it's pedagogy, right? So it's, it's always telling, it's always not telling you just what to do, but why you should do it. Hmm. Um, and that's what, that's what God does here. Josh, any thoughts there? Yeah, I think there's a just strong imagery of Eden here. Uh, so it's, it's referenced earlier in the chapter when it talks about God resting from his work. So Eden and rest is already on our minds. Then it comes to this and it says it's the word of God, which could leave you naked and exposed in judgment. So again, mm. this is very, very similar to what happened when Adam and Eve, after they sinned, you hear the voice of God speak to them and they're naked and exposed, right? And it's ultimately God's grace and that covers their nakedness. And, and bears their shame. 
but I think this is primarily a warning of judgment, though we often use verse 12 more broadly as the power of God's word, which it, it certainly is. It's not a bad way to use it. The context is like, you can't hide anything. There's no way to hide. You can't hide hide yourselves behind fig leaves. You can't hide yourselves in the bushes. You can't hide yourself there because the word of God is going to pierce and he's going to expose your nakedness and you're going to be judged for it if you fail to enter his rest. So mm. it's a it's a sharp word about judgment. And and I do think that's what's happening in Eden, right? Is he he the question is the the first question of judgment is it, you could you could summarize it is did you transgress my my word? <laughs> did you mm. transgress my command, right? Did, did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? Like and so that's why that's why it has this piercing quality. Yeah. But it's also pictured, obviously, from three into four, and, and, and even further in the book, you, you so often see the kind of this idea of striving, uh, perseverance that we would talk about through Hebrews. It's connected to how do you hear the word? So how do you respond to the word? And how do you respond to God's people? Um, yeah. And so throughout, those are the two two anchors that will help you to persevere and to, to strive mm-hmm. without falling. Yeah. Uh, final question, we'll, we'll end just, you know, we're, we're Christ-centered and clear. So how is this passage... Uh, pointing us to Jesus, and then out, out from pointing us to Jesus, what should it be producing in our people? I, I think obviously the um, one of the ways it's pointing us to Jesus is that He's the greater uh, Yeshua, right? He's the greater Joshua, who is leading His people into a rest that uh, is never going to end. Um, that's the rest that is spoken of later in songs because they didn't they didn't enter into it. Um, in in the uh, in the Exodus and the conquest, and so so for one he is he is the he's the greater Joshua, and the also as we're told throughout the Gospels he's the Lord of the Sabbath, and mm-hmm. so you have this this idea of uh, you know Sabbath was made for man it's a it's a gift from God to man and that it's not it's not about a bunch of rule keeping and and you can't you can only walk a certain number of steps from your house or whatever on the Sabbath. It's about this incredible shalom celebration of God and man living together as they were intended to in the beginning. And Sabbath is just a picture of that. Jesus is obviously giving a a fuller picture of that when he's healing people on the Sabbath and freeing people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those are two ways I would, I would point to Christ in this passage. I don't remember if, I don't know if you guys remember being a kid and driving into like a, a, a town and Back then, the hotel signs had those neon lights underneath that either lit up vacancies or no vacancies. And mm-hmm. I can imagine being a businessman, a traveler, you go into a town, you don't make reservations ahead of time because you know, no this internet. is pre-internet. Yeah. So yeah. how do you do anything? <laughs> and you go in there and you're just going hotel after hotel that says no vacancies and you're exhausted and you just want to rest. And one of the cool things about this passage is it basically says that like it will never say no vacancies. The promise mm. of rest still stands, verse one, verse six, it remains for some to enter it. And so I think a lot of this is saying that God has designed rest and he invites you to come. And that leads just simply to Jesus' words, right? Come to me all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so Jesus is the one who who makes this promise effective and the one who leads us. Jesus is the one who through his work and his finished work invites us to enter his rest. And so I think there are a dozen ways to preach Christ from this. I think it'd be hard to preach this passage and miss Christ in all these mm-hmm. ways because it really is one of those key texts that just 
explains in all of these beautiful pictures the promise of Jesus when he says, like, I will give you rest. This is what he's talking mm. about. Mm. And I think in terms of application, uh, one of the main things I would do is 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 try to address, so, so it would be two sides of the same coin. I would try to address uh, the, the tendency that Christians have to creep towards works righteousness mm-hmm. and to say, no, no, you, you have rested from your works, okay, because of what Christ, is, you've, you've heard the good news, you've received it by faith, not of works. The flip side of that coin is now you are obeying God, not out of a duty to perform for him to earn something, but because you have because you have rest, because you have this the presence of God, the celebration of what he's done for you in Christ, now you you get to obey take him at his word, obey him, mm-hmm. not turn back against it because of all these things that he's done for you. So it, it would be a rest from works righteousness. And then in that freedom, now you have an opportunity to abate. So are you, is that rest that you're experiencing leading you to delight in God and what he's asked of you and, and then mm-hmm. to follow it? Uh, and then obviously to talk about the word, like the word. And so the word has that function as well. Is the word convicting you and, and laying you bare where you're, where you're rebelling? And are you sensing that and repenting of it? And he's, we're going to go on to talk more about that and, in the following verses next episode, the positive side of it, are you, are you seeing the, the, the beauty and, and what God has asked of you, how he loves you, wants what's best for you. And so you're, you're following that. Mm. It's a good place to end. Thank you guys. Uh, and also just thanks for listening to the Christ in a clear podcast next week. We will finish chapter four, as John alluded to, we see a remarkable promise of access to God's presence through the work of our great high priest. Uh, we'll talk to you then. Thank you for listening to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. If you have questions, topics, or texts that you'd like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at podcast at ChristCenteredAndClear.com. And please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources that will help you see and share Jesus from all of Scripture.